Well, good morning again. I'm glad everyone is here. And, and I'm excited as we um, <coughs> are continuing um, this series. Um, we, we are looking at the seven churches in Revelation because I believe all my heart, um, I, I know for a fact that God has called us to be different. Um, that that, um, that as the church, we should stand out and not just fit in. Um, and again, as I said last week, when I'm talking about the church, remember this, I'm talking about us. It's, it's the people. Um, uh, the Bible always speaks of the church as ecclesia, the gathering of God's people coming together. And so it's us. It, it's, it's what we do, not only in these walls, but outside these walls, that we represent Christ in everything you do if you're a follower today. And that we are the church. Um, we are the local body of it, but we belong to the whole universal body of it. And one day, very, very soon, I believe, and there's going to be one church, one pastor, won't be me, um, and we, we will all be together. And, and I love that. I, I love the idea that we can come together and, and be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Be, be part of something that it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter where you're from or what you have or any of that stuff, that all of us can come here and be on uh, just flat common ground. We all need a Savior, and Jesus is it. And so that's the church, and, and I don't know of any other organiz organization or organism like it. Um, and, and I love I, I love the church, and I love um, being a part of it. And so as we continue this study, I just want to keep challenging you to think not just about us, but how the whole is living out, the whole body is living out and stuff. And I want to encourage you to like, please be praying for this church. Please be praying for me as a pastor, but also please be praying for all the other churches um, because it's getting harder and harder in this world. Um, there is more and more antagonism against um, the church, and, and I can tell you it, it's only going to get worse, but that, that, that's good news because that means our Savior's returning, and then it's all going to be set straight, and it's going to be done right. And everything that we ever thought was church, I still believe this, that on the first day, Jesus is going to gather all the pastors, and he's going to say, when I said church, this is what I meant. And all of us are going to go, wow, that makes so much more sense than what we've been doing. <laughs> and so um, I want to just encourage you, as we continue to look at these church, I want to remind you where we're, where, where we're talking about and stuff. Uh, in, in Revelation, when we talk about these seven churches, we're talking about modern-day Turkey. And, and again, unfortunately, none of these churches exist. Um, anymore. And we, we've talked about Ephesus and Smyrna, and this morning we're going to be talking about Pergamum, way up there at, at, at the top. But I wanted to give you kind of this area of just this history of where, where this place is, and, and, and um, that n none of them are around anymore. Like, you can take tours, and you can go see the cities, and you can see the ruins. But, but I believe the church continues to do church the way God intended it to do church, that they would still be around. And that other churches would still be around and stuff. And I think it's when we get out of doing church the way God intended us to do church, that's when we get in trouble. And that's when we see churches stop being churches. And so this morning, again, we, we're going to be talking about Pergamon. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have them kind of spread out. If you don't own one, take one of those, put your name in it. Um, that is a gift to you. You can have that if you have electronic devices. We actually have a Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Um, you can type in find more, all lower caps, and sign into that if that, that helps. Um, but a as always, uh, and, and I will never get tired and I will never stop saying it, um, this is the only words, these are the only words that matter this morning. 
It's the only authority I have to say anything or to stand up here at all. It's the only authority we have of being a church. Um, and so I'm going to ask out of just respect and acknowledgement of the power of these words, would you just stand with me as we start, as we read in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 12. John writes this, And to the angel of the church in Pergamon write, The words of him who has the sharp, has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You, you have some there who hold, to, hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's pray. God, I just thank you um, this morning. As again, we just dive into your word. God, you have called us, you have made us to be different. God, to stand out. Father, and in so many places, in so many areas, God, I just feel like we have compromised. God, I pray today that you would just speak. God, that you're, it would be your words and not mine. God, that you would take these words, that you would take this time, God, and that you would encourage us, you would challenge us, but most of all, God, you would change us. God, that we would be different because we were in your presence this morning. God, would you just reveal things in our life that we need to turn to you about? God, would you just have your way this morning? God, we love you. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you this morning, and may you get all the credit and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been going through this church, I've been trying to give a little bit of background um, <laughs> with these churches, and, and, and I wanted you to understand a little bit about Pergamon. Um, um, Pergamon... You know, it um, wasn't really known for a lot. It wasn't a great port city. In fact, you know, it was kind of way back. It was probably 40 miles off the coast and, and everything. But one of the things it was known for, um, it had a great library. In, in fact, it had probably one of the largest libraries around. They had over 200,000 parchments of just different things. There. So it was this vast kind of repository of, of knowledge and, and, and everything. And actually, that word parchment, we actually get that from the, the word pergamum. It actually comes from that. And so um, the, its whole claim to fame was it was the capital of the area. It was the center of Roman rule. Um, the, this is where the proconsul, the, the governor lived and, and everything. And, and so it was the center of that. And so that's really the only thing that made it kind of important is that's where the government sat. That, that was the Washington, D.C. Uh, of, of, of that area and everything. And so it was really important. But it was also the center of emperor worship. As we talked about, a lot of these churches, a lot, or a lot of these cities, um, um, when Tiberius came, he started demanding 
and made law that you will worship the emperor as, as a god. And so there were temples come up. Well, Pergamum not only had one temple to the emperor, it had multiple temples. And in the area, it was the center of, of emperor worship, and that was the big deal. And so it was the law. So imagine one who says, I follow Christ, and I follow God's word, and says there are no other gods for me, having to live in that area. And, and the persecution um, that was going on, and, and just a trial. And so in the midst of that crazy, crazy city, we have a church just trying to make it through and just trying to survive. And so, so I wanted to give you a little idea of what was like in the culture, but I, I want you to start looking at what's saying in here because um, last week we had the good fortune of talking about Smyrna, and Smyrna's one of the few ones where it never says it has anything bad against them. Pergamon is not one of those. And so I want to tell you this morning there's going to be some good news and there's going to be some bad news. And, and, and there's going to be some hard things. Um, but I, I love if you look at verse 12... Just the greeting um, to it. It says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamon write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I, I love that. It talk, you talk about Pergamon. It is the center of Roman government in the area. There, that's where, that's where you know, the proconsul lived. Uh, the sword would be a pretty much known thing as a sign of power there because that governor, that guy could probably put to death. In fact, he did put to death, anyone that didn't follow along. And so he had that power. And yet in that power, in that high esteem, and when we think about people with power in our world today, presidents and kings and, and all these people, I just want you to know something, that there's someone that has a greater power. <laughs> that I don't care who's in charge of what, everybody has a boss. And, and, and in the end, in, in the end, it, it is Christ who rules over everything. I mean, that, that, that should be, like, encouraging to us. That Listen, I, I believe with all my heart that, you know, we should always do our civil duty. You, 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 you go out and vote. If you're not voting, then please don't complain about anything. I can't stand people that sit there and complain about anything and then don't go vote. And I'm not worried about who you vote for. You vote your conscience. You vote what you believe and everything. This will never be a place where we talk about who to vote for it ever. But I will tell you to vote. But I want to tell you, no matter who's in office, no matter who's in charge, there's one that's always more in charge, and is God. Jesus is still on his throne, God is still on his throne, and nothing is ever out of control. And, and so every time there's an election season, people are like, oh my gosh, it went this way, now the liberals or the conservatives, and what are we going to do? We're going to trust God because he's still in charge. And I love that it says in the city where the most powerful person in the region lived, they said there's someone still with a greater power and there's someone with a greater authority. And, and that's Jesus. He, in fact, he says, my word is the final authority. In fact, isn't that what it says in Hebrews? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's a reason that I start every sermon saying these are the only words that matter, and that's why. See, because my words can't do any of that. But the final authority is Jesus, and the final authority is his word. And so as, as we get worried about, like, who's in charge and what's in charge, just remember this. It's God. <laughs> no one takes a position of authority unless God allows them and places them there. And, and we can trust that, and we can, we can stand on that. And so in the midst of this, knowing that he's in charge and everything, um, 
there is some encouragement here. There's some um, like holding fast and, and being strong in there. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, I know where you dwell. I just want to stop. There. Isn't that really nice to know? That Jesus looks at everyone and he says, I know where you're at. We never fall through the cracks with Jesus. We, we never are lost or unseen or untouchable or unreachable or unredeemable with, with Jesus because every time he looks at us and he says, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. I, I understand what you're going through. And he goes, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, now the truth is, is that that whole term, where Satan dwells and stuff, you know, some of us may be thinking of certain cities and stuff, oh, that's Vegas, and it's not Vegas, okay, I just want you, you know, or, or Hollywood, and so, I mean, everyone's got an idea where Satan dwells today and everything, and everything. but but the truth is, what, what was going on is there, there's two lines of thought with that. One is that one of the largest temples of Zeus was there, and they thought that was it, but there were temples of Zeus everywhere. But the other thing was this emperor worship, that that was the prevalent belief system and the truth is is wherever we worship anything but the one true god that's where satan dwells because that's what he wants by the way that's what he always wanted he wants people to worship him in fact there's a verse in bible where it says his job was to let the glory of worship pass through him straight to god and yet the bible says that he held some of that for him that was his sin he's like i want my own worship and so wherever the worship of anything other than the one true God, that is where Satan dwells. But the truth is, this was an evil place. If you didn't bow down to the emperor, then you're going to prison. You're going to be tortured. You're, you're going to die. And, and so there was a lot of persecution going on. In fact, we're not really sure about Antipas. Um, kind of church tradition says Antipas was a guy that was a follower of Christ. He was a leader in the church. And they put him in a metal bowl and cooked him. And I guarantee you at that time, there were probably crowds there just cheering it on, saying, this is so cool. I mean, you want to talk about just a place where just everything under the sun can go on. That was Pergamum. And, and in the middle of that, he says, I know where you're at. And you are my faithful witness. By the way, that's where we get the word martyr. And I don't know if you knew this, there have been more martyrs of the Christian faith this century than all the other centuries combined. There are more people that stand in the faith. And I'm so thankful I live in a place where I don't have to do that yet. But I know people that live in places that do, that could be meeting this morning with the fear that someone's going to bust through a door. And yet they still meet. And so what he's saying is like, I know you're going through this. I know you feel like you're in a bad place and it's horrible and everything is against you, but you're holding fast and you're continuing to hold fast. Don't deny my faith. Because so often that's what happens. But but in that, he says there's a problem, (laughs) you know. I love that he gives us the good news first. He says, you know, I know where you dwell, but look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you. 
You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Uh, listen, I wanna, uh, we're going to stick here for a while. Um, and, and this this is because I think there is compromise that has sleep, kind of stepped into the church today. And, and I think that's what was happening in Perlin. He's saying, listen, you've held fast. You, you've stood there, and, and you're still meeting, and, and, and you're doing that. But, but there are things that have kind of come in the way with that. When, when he talks about that guy, Balaam, I don't know if you guys remember the story in the Old Testament about the guy that was supposed to go. Balaam was supposed to put a curse against the Israelites, and his donkey talked to him. <laughs> You know, that's how we get that saying. Uh, never mind. Um, but that <laughs> the donkey was talking to him and says, no, you're not going to do this and everything. And so what he did is he went back to Balak and he says, listen, all you have to do is get them to start worshiping other things. All you have to do is start idol worshiping there and they'll turn from it, and then God will turn against them. And so that's who they're talking about here. Um, again, this idea of like bringing in something else, and then he talks about you know sexual immorality, and then these Nicolaitans, which was people that kind of came in and said Jesus and that were in the church, they were part of it. It wasn't an outside attack, but it was these people saying it's Jesus and and this and, and do all that. And, and my heart and, and my sorrow this morning is that I have been at churches and I've talked to people that I feel like there are like three major things that have kind of snuck into the church, and if those things aren't handled and dealt with. Those, it can't be a church anymore. And, and so the very first one that I, I want to talk about is this idea of there's only one way. <laughs> there's only one way that we are saved. There's only one way that we are reconciled to God. There's only one way that we are redeemed and changed. In fact, Jesus said it. We, we don't always talk about it, but Jesus said it in, in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want you to notice he didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. And in fact, that's what the world would tell us today. And that's what some of our churches are saying. was like, listen, we just all need to get along. We all need to coexist and come together. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I can sit on Oprah's couch and I can say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere and everybody will applaud. But the truth is, as Jesus said, no, there's only one way. And when we put anything else in front of that, we have stopped being a church. I mean, we, we sit here and we go and says, well, you know, this, you know, those people are good and, and they're nice and they're nice. And there's those lovely coexist bumper stickers that look so great and it's a great idea. And I think that we should act in peace and love towards every single person. Listen, if you, if you have a prejudice this morning and stuff against anybody and say, well, you know, those people, they don't know God, then I'm going to tell you, you and I don't know the same God. Because there's no one on this planet that's not redeemable. But the truth is, is the only way that we're redeemed is through Jesus. Every other belief system, we'll, we'll talk about it's works-based. It's how much can I do or how much, how much you know, am, am I good enough? If, I, if I'm a right person, then karma will happen, and someday I'll become a better person, and then I'll be reincarnated a better person, and it's all about what I do. You and I can never be good enough. That's why it says we are saved by grace. It is a gift from God. And so anybody tells you that there's another way to heaven, they are wrong. 
And unfortunately, that's invaded our churches. See, listen, if the church isn't about Jesus, then it ain't a church. My, my Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. Me, I'm just an under-shepherd. I work for him. It's his church. And it's always been his way. And I know people will look at that and they'll say, well, see, that's why. See, that's why you guys are closed-minded and you're bigots and, and you're all this stuff. And, and that's, that's ridiculous because it's the most inclusive, exclusive statement ever written in the Bible. Ever written anywhere. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying, yes, it's exclusive that it goes through me. But it's inclusive because it's for everyone. There are so many belief systems in the world where it matters where you're born. It matters your skin color. It matters this. It matters your culture. It matters all that stuff. And there are like limits and stuff where Jesus says, no, no, for God so loved the whole world, he gave his son. For God so loved everyone. And so it's through Jesus. Any other way, any other way is a lie. And that's what was happening in Purim. They They were worshiping others. They were letting other stuff kind of seep in. And so whenever, if this church doesn't, doesn't stay about Jesus, y'all need to fire me. Y'all need to find somebody that talks just about Jesus because that's what this is all about. And, and so, so that, that's, that's the first one. That's the first one that we go through and, and this idea. The, the other thing that I think has slipped in and everything is that we just, we don't want to be offensive. Do we? we? We don't like being offensive. We're like, we shouldn't offend people and everything. That's not very Christian. Can I tell you, one of the most offensive people in the history of the world was Jesus? I mean, when it came to people that didn't know him, there, there was grace and love. He like look at him and says, yeah, I know you've sinned. Now sin and don't do it anymore. You, you're forgiven. But the religious people, you know, the leaders and everything, those are the people he looked at and says, man, you're a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you're really pretty. On the inside, you're rotting and you stink and you're smelly and you have a problem. I mean, that's kind of offensive. <laughs> and, and so we don't, we, we, we've gotten into this attitude of politically correctness and everything. And like, like it's not, man, listen, if I'm not offending somebody every week, then I've done something wrong. <laughs> because when I'm offended or someone else is offended, that's when we actually think. I remember a time in this country, in this world, where we could debate and disagree and still say, okay, that's all right. But now, now we don't talk about that stuff anymore. And we've started taking things that God has defined and try to redefine them to make everybody happy. That, that, that's the problem with this. That's, we take things that God has already defined and said, this is the way it is. But let, let's make it so everybody's happy. It, it doesn't work. This is a little PG-13 right now. So I just want you to understand, I believe with all my heart today that every social, cultural issue that as Christians we are battling against goes back to one thing, sexual sin. I mean, he, he talks about, you know, Pergamon, that you're getting into sexual immorality. I believe everything, because, I mean, just follow me here. I don't think abortion is about killing babies. I, I think if that was the promo, it would have never happened. I think abortion is about me saying, I want to have sex with whoever I want and not have to deal with any consequences. I, I think it goes back to, I think us redefining marriage when, when God has already defined marriage, 
I mean, we can't redefine it. God has already defined it. Is us saying that this is okay and we want everybody to be happy and everything. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to say, and by the way, our churches are preaching too much against like gay people and not as much against people that are cheating on their wives and having sex before marriage because all of that is sexual immorality. It is a heartbreak to me that the divorce rate for non-Christians and Christians and church-going people are the same. And that goes back to immorality. That goes back to all this. And, and so, so the problem that we sit here and we make our own identity, now people are trying to identify themselves when God already created them and says, this is what you are. This is how I made you. But again, we want to come in and we want to redefine what God has defined. And when we do that, that's where chaos comes in. Listen, I, I believe with all my heart that we have to meet people. Listen, homosexuality is, is, is an issue. And there may be people that will struggle with that for their entire lives and deal with that their entire lives. But I think by the power of the Holy Spirit is they can make a choice and say, I'm not going to live this way. It's going to be hard. I think for the same reason that I can sit there and say, I'm going to stay true to my wife because the way I'm made is I should just sleep with every girl that I see and anybody I want to. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that says, no, I'm going to stay true. And so <laughs> this is a big deal. And every issue that I think we're facing culturally that we're battling it goes against that. And I think that's really, really why in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexu the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Over and over again, we hear that in, in the Bible. And so we understand, when's the last time we talked about purity? You know, I, I remember being a youth pastor and parents coming up and telling me all the time, says, teach my kids not to date. <laughs> Tell them they cannot date. I was like, show me in the Bible where it says that. <laughs> because Mary was 13, so if you betrothed your 13-year-old and stuff, I will teach them not to date. And you choose their husband now and let them go ahead and get married. See, the problem is, is we want to teach in our churches and everything, we want to teach kind of um, the way we act. You know, a gospel that controls the way we act and behave, a behavioral gospel. But the truth is the gospel is about the heart, and purity is about the heart. So we need to teach our kids purity. We need to talk about purity. We need to talk about the sanctity of marriage because, it, uh, like I said, I believe with all my heart, the first thing that God ordained was man and woman. I mean, Jesus backed it up. He says, for this reason, God created man that he'll leave his mother and father and, and cleave to his wife. That there was a man and woman, that, and God defined that. And so, see, I don't get upset. Like, the Supreme Court can say whatever it wants, and that's fine. I don't care because I already know how it's defined. We need to stop getting offended at that, and we need to start. We need to start being marriages that reflect God's glory, that reflect the love and the sacrifice that is a marriage. We need to model that. When we model that, we're going to see people. This generation, they don't want to get married because we've set a horrible example for them. And so we need to live out marriages that are godly and stuff. And people say, "That's what I want." We we need to stay pure. We need to preach as much about sex before marriage and divorce with as much condemnation as we teach about homosexuality because they're all wrong in God's eyes and it's all a problem. It's when we redefine and that's exactly what was happening in the church there. And it's a huge deal for us if we want to be the church. The, the final thing 
The, the final thing that I think is under attack is I think it's this. I, I think it's the authority of God's word. I mean, anybody can sit here and just pick and choose a doctrine and theology by doing this. <laughs> you know, that's really scary, and that's what people did. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, God bless him, great president and everything, but he took out the things he didn't like in his Bible, and he made his own, <laughs> you know? You know, wouldn't that be nice? I'm going to cut out all this judgment, and, like, I'm going to be holy stuff, and, oh, look, love, let's keep that one. And so, and that, that's what he did, but you can't do that. Either you take all of it, or you can't take any of it. And it's the authority of this word that we stand on. It's the authority of this word that makes us a church. It's the authority of this word that makes us followers of Christ. It's the authority of this word that's going to last. And, and we've got people that are saying, well, you know, culturally back then, you know, it said this. And, and so they didn't really mean that and everything because that doesn't apply today. Have you ever heard that? Well, that part of God's word doesn't really apply today, you know. I'm a New Testament Christian. <laughs> you can't be a New Testament Christian without the Old Testament. <laughs> You've got to understand that God has always been holy. This is what I, I understand. We love that God is loving and he's merciful and he's graceful, but you cannot have any of that if he's not just and righteous and holy also. And so we get all of that in his word. And when we start looking at stuff and, and just saying, well, that doesn't really matter. Listen, I, I don't know about you. I look at this book and I take it at face value. And I trust God with the rest. And so that makes me kind of an oddball at times. So when the Bible says that he created the world in seven days, I'm like, he created it in seven days. I have no problem believing that because that's what it says. We're, we're going through Revelation right now. Most people are like, I don't like Revelation. It's scary. It's got dragons and everything. I read Revelation at face value. I say, if this is what it says, then that's what's going to happen, and I'm just going to trust that. I mean, we, we try to read so much into it. And listen, it's important to understand culture and language and who they're talking to in context. It's so important to know context. Because there's so much doctrine out there that's not scripturally correct because it's out of context. There's so many people like, this is how I read my Bible. You know, the guy goes to the pastor, I want to read my Bible. It's like, well, open and read it. So he opens up, put his fingers there. It says, and Judas hung himself. And he's like, well, that can't be right. So he flips the pages and he does this again. It says, now go and do likewise. You know, <laughs> you know don't do that. That's just stupid. Don't, I mean, don't do that. I mean, we got to go through it and you got to understand that. But we need to know that there's authority here, and we can trust it. It doesn't change. Anybody tells you says that doesn't count today? Well, there, there's a problem, because there's a verse in Matthew that says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Can I tell you something? These words this, that Jesus spoke, when he quoted the Old Testament, are as important today as they were back then. They're important every day, and they don't change. Listen, all of this is going away. These won't. And any church that takes away Scripture can't be a church. Can't be a church. And so this is the authority that we have. And that should encourage you. That should excite you about reading this book because everything you need to know about God and how to live for him is right here. Every question you have like, God, how should I follow you? What am I supposed to do is right here. <laughs> everything we need to know about this incredible God is right here. We make it too complicated. Gosh, we've made church so hard. We've made Bible reading so hard. It's, it's ridiculous to me. It's not hard. It's right here. And these words are going to remain.
See, and we can choose to put a blind eye to these, and we can choose not to stand on convictions and say, no, this is what we're going to stand on. Or we can choose to repent. Look at verse 16. Jesus tells him, says, therefore repent. Turn away. Turn away from what you were doing. Go, you're going one direction, turn the opposite way. Come back to me, repent, and go away. Because if you don't, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Listen, I know about you. I don't want to be in a war with Jesus, the creator of everything. Uh, I think there's a day coming. You know, all these, you know, all this, all this statistics and everything about like churches are closing and they're dwindling and they're going down in less and less churches. I, I think that is that scripture coming true. I think the, what's happening is the churches that aren't being a church in the way God created them to be a church are going away, and there will be just the the church left. And that's what we're gonna we're we're gonna stand on. That that line is being drawn very very clear. And so it's not that the church is getting smaller; it's becoming more real. And, and that's what's happening with that. But he says, "Repent." He he says, "Turn, turn back. Go from that. Don't don't. I will come against you." Look at verse seventeen. He says, "He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Is to the one who conquers." I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give them a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I, I love this, this whole picture of, of this idea that when we return, when we repent, when we acknowledge saying, God, I've walked away. I've been doing things my way. I want to do them your way from now on. I, I've let this stuff kind of creep in, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to turn back to you. Now, there's a couple of things that happen. One is that we are provided by God. That everything you need to do, everything you need to know, everything you have, you need the power for to complete whatever God has called you to do, or whatever God has called you to be, that he's the one that provides you. He's the one that empowers you. That, that, that man, he's the one that sustains you. That if you think like, man, I, don't, I can't tell people about Jesus. That's right. Jesus can do it through you. I, I, can't, I can't follow God and do all this stuff. God can do it through you. That he's the one that gives us the power to sustain. That's, that's why I love in, in John where Jesus talks, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. A better translation, if you love me, you'll be able to keep my commandments. That everything that we're supposed to be able to do, we can do because God empowers us through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that nice to know? You don't save yourself. You don't sanctify yourself. And you don't have to really do all this other stuff on your own. That it is God that empowers us to be who we're supposed to be. And not only that, he gives us a new name. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I love that. The idea that when God adopts us, when God brings us in. He renames us. And for us, that's not a big deal because names don't really mean as much as they used to. I mean, there, there was a time when names, it told everything about that person. You know? I, I love, like, we all know, like, that old, that whole thing, the prayer of Jabez. Jabez, you know, Lord, we pray. everyone, like, got a little prayer cloth and they made millions off of that things. And my territory didn't really get any bigger from that <laughs> at all. And all that stuff. But I love it. You know what his name meant? I had you in sorrow. Could you imagine that? Hey, Jabez. Hey, sorrow person. You know? Names used to mean something. 
They don't really to us anymore, but in heaven and in God's eyes, he renames us. When we turn to him, when we live the way he's supposed to be, we go from enemy to beloved. We go from lost to found. We go from blind to see. He renames us when we turn and live. He goes, we go from hopeless to all the hope we could ever want or receive. He renames us when we turn. And as long as we are following that path, listen, it's not easy. There's still going to be persecution. It's still going to be hard. It is not easy to be the church that God has called us to be. We're going to have to make sacrifices, and we're going to have to struggle, and to be the people, we're going to have to kind of lean in and and work at it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God and His provision, we'll, we'll accomplish everything that He's meant for us to accomplish. I promise you that. If you follow God, everything that you're supposed to do in your life for His glory will happen. And you will stand before Him one day, not ashamed, but saying, I have run a good race. And I finish my course. But it only happens when we stand on these convictions, when we don't bend. Listen, we can bend on some things. We can bend on what kind of music we play. We can bend on, do we have pews? Do we have chairs? Do we stand? Do we sit? You know, how long does the preacher preach? And how short should he preach and stuff? Don't tell me that. Um, (laughs) we, We can do all that, but there are certain things that we need to stand on. We need to stand on the truth that it is about Jesus and only Jesus. It has always been and it always will be about him. And he is the only way. We can stand that God has called us to live a holy, pure life. That we are to be different, to stand out. And we can stand upon his word. And those can be convictions that we learn on. And say, this is a line that we will not cross. We will not cross in this church. That we will stand on these. And, and I love that um, Josh McDowell said this. He said, having conviction can be defined as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter what they do out there. There is nothing, I told you that last week, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that they can do to ever separate us from that. So we can stand and we can act upon those convictions. Knowing that God's in control and he's on his throne. I I think that's what it means to be a different church. I think that's what it means to be a different people. And I promise you that at times that will make you unpopular. At times you will offend somebody. At times... People will not like you. And let me tell you something, that's the hardest one for me because as a pastor, I am a people pleaser. Like when people like leave here with like little scowls on their face, I go on back going, oh, what did I do? You know, I feel horrible because I want everyone to like me. But I know not everyone's going to. But I can stand on these convictions and say, God, your word is true. Jesus, you are true. And I can live the life that you've called me to live. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does. And when we do that, 
promise you, people will drive miles to come and see a church that lives like that. Because that's the church that we are meant to be. That's the people we're meant to be. And that, not buildings, not budgets, not any of those other stuff, that will change a community. And I've been, I've been around ministry a long time. I've been a part of every self-help thing that you can ever think, mentoring, all kinds of stuff. And, and I can tell you, in these neighborhoods over here, we have drug problems, we have gang problems, we have, we have human trafficking problems, we have all kinds of issues down here. What will change all that is the gospel and a people living it out. I promise you that. It will change everything if we stand on our convictions. This morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond to this. I, I don't know where you're at. I know what's going on with your life. And maybe there have been areas where you have compromised. And maybe there are areas that you said, man, I let go. I just want to remind you, there is nothing not, not redeemable. God redeems and restores everything. And if there is anything in your life right now that you say, God, I just, I'm going to give you this. I want to have the courage to stand in this. I pray you let that happen this morning. I pray that whatever God has challenged you with this morning, you let him do his work. I don't understand this, and I, I still, I just, I ask this every Sunday, and I still, I haven't figured out how people can walk into a church knowing that God's presence is there. Because my Bible says we're two or more gathered, and there's a lot more of you than two. And he was here waiting for us, that when we walk into his presence, how can we not leave changed? Everywhere I see in the Bible where God shows up, people changed. And I think, I know he was here. And so I, my prayer for us is that you leave different, changed, encouraged, and ready to go out there. So whatever that is, let God have his way. Like I said, the prayer is open. If you want to pray with me or talk to one of our elders, come see. I'll be sitting right up here. If you've never been baptized and say, you know what, I need to follow in baptism and be obedient to that. Come and talk to me. We'll figure out a way. You know, if i got to get like a giant like tubby t- pool here we'll just we'll dump buckets over you i don't know i know baptists we're supposed to immerse but we'll immerse (laughs) but i mean we'll we'll do whatever we need to do but don't leave here with unfinished business be different and see what god does with that let's pray